the Bible's answer for the social media divide. Some of those elements, those negative elements that uh, are the side effects of this technical age in which we live and engage. Firstly, I just thought it was worth putting some, um, some stats together or just provide a little bit of a snapshot of this digital world in which we live. What this chart here is, is giving us a bit of a snapshot of is the use of technology worldwide. And we see here that uh, this, this dates from uh, the stats from April this year. And we see that uh, we have a population getting close to 8 million. And we see that uh, about 67% of the world's population, which is quite remarkable when you think about, when we think about those living in third world countries that really don't have enough food to eat or water or clean water, let alone the sort of technology that uh, we all take for granted here. But despite that, 67% of the population are mobile phone users. When it comes to the internet, 60% use of the world's population use the internet in one form or another. And particularly relevant to our topic tonight, we can see there that over 50%, 55% of the world's population are what is being referred to as active social media users. 4.33 billion. If we delve in a little bit further around the global internet use, we see there that the average daily time spent using the internet by each internet user is around six hours and 56 minutes, which is quite staggering, isn't it? How technology has become so pervasive, the use of the internet has become so pervasive in everything we do. And we can see there that mobile devices have become the predominant way people access and use the internet. 92% of those that use the internet are using it via mobile devices. And then this chart is specifically looking at social media around the world. And as we saw from the other chart, 4.33 billion people or 55% of the population are active social media users. And what we've seen through COVID particularly in this last 12 months is quite a dramatic increase in the use of social media. As we can see there, the numbers there of an increase of 13.7% in the last year of, of those using it or, or another 521 million people. And again, mobile phones becoming the predominant way in which social media is used and consumed. And the stats also tell us that as an average, people are using or spending two hours and 22 minutes every single day interacting in social media platforms. Again, quite 
a staggering snapshot of not just digital use, but in particular social media. So it's, it's predominant. It's become a predominant part of everyday life for a very large amount of the population. And as we've said, technology can provide a lot of benefits. It wouldn't be possible without the technology that we have for us to come together tonight and be able to interact virtually as we can or stream our meetings or stream our classes. So there are lots of positives in terms of the use of technology. If we drill down and look at, as part of this survey, what people consider is their primary purpose, their primary reason for social media, we'll see, unsurprisingly, a number of different uses for social media. But the one thing to draw out from this particular chart is more and more people are using it well, the second reason there is fulfilling spare time, which I think is a problem in and of itself, is that rather than uh, perhaps more beneficial activities, social media has become a time filler. But really from this, I think we should draw to our attention the use of social media for news for seeing what is being talked about, sharing and discussing, discussing opinions with others are some of the things that jump out of here. So it's become a way in which, which all of us are now getting our, our news through the different media platforms that we have. And in a way, <coughs> Getting a message out in a traditional sense has been years ago was standing on a street corner. And I'm sure we can all, those of us that are old enough can remember going into the CB, CBD and potentially walking past the old GPO building in Melbourne. And there would be generally someone standing there, maybe with a megaphone, maybe just with a loud voice, getting their message across. But the traditional ways of making a point or selling a message have changed. I suppose this diagram speaks to these new phrases that we hear all the time. Keyboard warriors, those that sit behind a keyboard to send messages, to interact, to broadcast. The virtual megaphone and the growing number of platforms of which people have access to now to broadcast their opinions. It's an environment that has developed over the last 10 years that to some degree has become uncontrollable as we, as we will see. So I thought I'd just take a few examples Given our topic of virtual hatred, maybe some simple examples and some more recent examples of how this is starting to manifest itself and how it does manifest itself. You may be familiar with this particular uh, issue that bubbled up from a social media perspective of recent times involving Magna Zabansky. 
a, a fairly well-known identity, actress, host of a, uh, a recent uh, TV program who came under a bit of fire for this particular post on Twitter. And she was reposting something that obviously someone within her network had sent out, making a comment there about this particular photo, which was of the Prime Minister signing a condolence book with his wife, Jenny, standing behind, by his side there and making this comment there about good morning to everyone else who this feels creepy, chilling, terrifying, ominous, enraging, despair, despairing, and utterly, completely, a word blocked out, depressing. So making out that this image here of uh, the Prime Minister signing the condolence book for Prince Philip after his passing was in, in some way quite depressing in what it was de depicting as... Uh, and Magna picks this up and makes this comment here about, I generally thought this was a photographed handmaid's tail meme, but no, it's 21st century Aussie life. I suppose here's an example of where these disparaging, hateful comments are made about individuals, in this case, very prominent individuals, our Prime Minister and his wife. It also shows how we can create these impressions of, as if we've got, you know, a prime minister who has a very subservient wife and this is how he likes things to be. And obviously it will, it, these sorts of thinkings come from those probably from the left side of politics that really... Uh, are against the more conservative side, which our Prime Minister comes from. But the interesting thing was, here was a photo that wasn't shown of the exact opposite situation. So we can see here how things can be manipulated to create an impression of something where during the signing of the book, a number of photos were taken. And here was the other photo that conveniently wasn't shown in that post with this, the Prime Minister standing in a subservient way, if you could look at it like that, as his wife, Jenny, signed the book. But then there's comments like this where people stand up and simply make disparaging comments about their hate for individuals. I've never hated anyone as much as Morrison and his wife. So we can see how we've got this divide, haven't we? From those that use these platforms to express views in a very ugly way. While on the theme of Magna, it wasn't just it wasn't just in relation to that particular incident. She decided that uh, she'd make some sort of uh, insinuation here 
when again, um, obviously, uh, retweeting something that she'd been sent from her network, again on Twitter, making reference to some symbol that she was suggesting that the Prime Minister's wife might be making. And as you can see there from the little uh, note at the bottom there, that symbol usually means someone is uh, using it to indicate it's all okay. But the inference there is that the Prime Minister's wife is actually using a symbol to signify white supremacy. And again, these are, these are the sort of things that uh, we see and we read. And the trouble is we have networks of people such as Magnus Zavansky that have thousands of followers. And these things are then broadcast in these ways. And so this is how these platforms are continually being used. A recent example in, uh, in the last day or so, well, probably a number will be familiar with J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series. But this was the um, post that she received in her Twitter account, a, th a threat regarding a pipe bomb in the mailbox. What was behind that? Well, it seems as though that was a response to comments that she had made about transgender which was seen as disparaging for those that have gone down that path. And so the reactions are like this. And so these are the negative things we see. And if we take for a moment some guidance from God's word, we see that the two things don't fit together, do they? And here's the instruction that we have is to let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. And so I think you'll agree that the, the sort of things that we've just seen are anything but gracious and seasoned with salt. And if we look at Luke's record, chapter 6, we have some other guidance. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek after the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So I think here this provides us a wonderful set of guidelines on how we should operate in our lives with one another. And again, I think what we see is that the sorts of things we do see on social media quite often are anything but in a line with these, with scriptural guidelines such as this.
just wanted to change tack a little bit and talk about the way in which social media can quite often become a real problem for individuals. And I suppose we can all fall into traps of, of using social media in a way and the things that we say and we put out there in the public record can come back to bite. And you may have come across this particular issue here with uh, Ollie Robinson, who was recently um, selected to play for the English cricket team. And he was forced to make this apology here as a result of what was a number of, of tweets that he had made about eight years ago. Now, unfortunately for Ollie, that was when he was about 18, a lot younger, a lot more naive. And I think, as you will see from that apology, totally regrets the sort of things that he had said. You can see there, without uh, delving into all of them, that a number of the comments that he made back then were pretty unsavoury and pretty foolhardy. And I think the lesson there is that we do need to be careful, and particularly for young people, particularly for our young people, need to be very careful what they say and what they post in social media platforms because we leave these digital footprints that can last forever. They can be found. And it's in simple things, whether that be when we're getting to the age where we're uh, applying for jobs, that information is often trawled and analysed by potential employers as one example of how these things. In this case, Ollie Robinson found himself sacked from the team and his cricketing future was in jeopardy. So we can see that social media can be a dangerous thing, particularly for those that are younger and particularly with banter that at the time may seem innocent, but in fact could come back in years later to be a real problem as it was for, for this particular individual. We all might be familiar with Israel Folau, one of Australia's best rugby union players, who of a number of years ago converted to Christianity and came out in a series of again, social media posts professing warnings such as this and quoting Galatians chapter 5 there, as we can see on the screen. But we'd be quite familiar with the end result of that was him losing his career and then sponsors such as ASICS 
taking these positions here, and his sponsorship deals all fell apart. And that happened several years ago and is still a problem for him today as he's tried to get back into playing one form of rugby or another. And so we can see that making a stand on social media, the backlash that can occur, and it's a challenging issue for, for us who would hold some of the viewpoints. I'm not necessarily suggesting that the way Israel Flower went about it was ideal, but he was putting forward viewpoints that are that are aligned with scriptural principles. And I suppose if we then look at some of those that came out, this was an interesting tweet from Brian Houston. Brian Houston is the CEO of Hillsong. And he's, he made this comment that Israel Folau has lost touch with the goodness and grace of Jesus and it's tragic. An interesting position from someone from that Christian-based organisation to take, isn't it? But what does God's word have for us in terms of this and in terms of how we should operate in terms of the beliefs that we have. And First Peter, I think, provides some very good guidance for us, doesn't it? But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. And I think this next verse is the key, isn't it? Yet do it with courtesy and respect, keeping a good conscience so that those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if God wills it, than for doing evil. So the message there is that we do have a responsibility to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope we possess. The key message also is that we must do it with courtesy and respect. And it sort of brings us to that dilemma, doesn't it, that I think what we find and the positioning that, that society has taken, that if we object to someone's conduct in their life, such as things like homosexuality, then that is being hateful and that's hate speech. And I think we have to be careful with that because, as is often said, we, we hate the behaviours, not the individual. And we know that, that God is willing. God is willing to offer salvation to those that will turn away from those behaviours that are not in alignment with the way in which he would have us to live. And we play a role in that. And simply hating people and disparaging people for that is not a way that we might help them on that path 
to understanding the road to salvation. And so I think we need to bear those things in mind. Again, changing tact when we look at the way in which social media has been used. And this particular gentleman became a bit of a symbol of the capital rights that occurred in Washington, D.C. And sadly, there were a number of deaths resulting from that. And it was interesting how social media has got a pretty bad name in the role it potentially played. And on the screen there, we'll see a particular Facebook group that was established and subsequently brought down by, from Facebook. But some key points in this article about Stop the Steal, which is obviously a reference there to the fact that there were a number that were absolutely convinced that the election of Donald Trump was stolen and that the Democrats and those that favour the Democrats were behind this fraud that occurred. We can see there that once this Facebook group had started, the group started adding 1,000 new members every 10 seconds. It had grown to around 365,000 members in a single day when a decision was taken to bring the site down. And the particular reason that the site was brought down, according to Facebook, it was due to worrying calls for violence. So while generally Facebook groups are there to bring people with common, common interests together on a particular subject, this particular Facebook group obviously led to growing feelings of anger about what was going on and no doubt many posts of violence. Following on from that, we then find Donald Trump himself weighed in on Twitter where he spoke about the fact that the election, the, of the election fraud and talked about a rally that was going to happen on January 6, which, as we know, now was the day in which the Capitol building was raided by a bunch of demonstrators who felt that justice was not being done. And again, we see there that as a result, Twitter decided to remove Donald Trump's Twitter account and gave the reason that they, they believed that the sort of things he was posting led to the Capitol riots on January 6, and they did this to prevent further acts and further incitement and violence. Obviously, there's been a lot of debate as to whether they've overreached and overstepped on taking these actions. But the point here being that these social media platforms can have quite dangerous effects for those that read into these, these statements. Something that may not actually be meant, and obviously uh, there was a, um, a whole series of events that followed 
post this, that saw Trump being put on trial, as it were, for inciting these riots. And although not found guilty, there is many that felt that uh, it was a result of the way in which he posted and the use of the language he used that resulted in what we saw there. So just on that, I thought we would, I thought I'll attempt to uh, show this video. I, I thought this was very interesting because it puts a little bit of insight as to how social media works and it references here these filter bubbles that occur they're also referred to as echo chambers. So we'll play this, I'll play this, and uh, hopefully we won't uh, have uh, this brought down by YouTube, but uh, we'll see how we go. When you go to a website, you may think you're getting the same content as everyone else, but almost anywhere you go online, algorithms will keep track of what you like to click on. Those algorithms will give you content based on what they think you like and they will continue to do so until they're mainly showing you content you'll likely consume. When you first think about algorithms personalizing and curating your online experience, it can sound like a good thing. There is so much information online, and even if you had all the time in the world, you still couldn't consume it all. Each of us has specific interests, so why not focus on content we'll probably like? The problem is that these algorithms can put you in something called a filter bubble, a term coined by internet activist Eli Pariser. Being in a filter bubble means that algorithms have isolated you from info and perspectives that you haven't already expressed an interest in, meaning you may miss out on important information. For instance, a social media site may hide posts from friends with different viewpoints, or a news site may display articles that it thinks you'll agree with. You may not even realize you're in a filter bubble because these algorithms don't ask for your permission, tell you when they're active, or say what they're keeping from you. In fact, they've become a part of the internet as a whole, and if you want to go online, avoiding them is almost impossible. Once everyone gets stuck in their own bubble, the problem only gets worse. If everyone is confident they're getting the full story on a current event when they're really only getting part of it, no one can make an educated judgment, and it becomes difficult to have a meaningful discussion about the facts. This is why filter bubbles contribute to a lack of understanding and an unwillingness to consider opposing viewpoints and unfavorable info. So how do we deal with these algorithms, especially since they're so common? And how do we make sure we're hearing other viewpoints when we don't even know what we're missing? Companies like Google and Facebook are working on the problem, but for now, there is no definitive solution. Until then, keep filter bubbles in mind as you browse the internet, and try to seek out new sources and perspectives. Hopefully then, you'll be able to take back some control of your online experience. We got through that, so uh, look, hopefully that gave a little bit of insight onto uh, what actually occurs within the social media environment in which we all interact with it at, to some level. And quite often what that's telling us is that we're being served up information 
quite often one-sided information based on our likes or the things we search for. Now, in to some degree, I, one recent example I had, uh, which I, I thought was quite uh, interesting and made a lot of sense after uh, seeing uh, this particular video, was uh, I'd, um, I'd come across a video regarding coronavirus vaccinations. And it happened to be a, a video, um, a YouTube video, that was talking a bit negatively about the Pfizer vaccination. So I happened to click on this video and out of interest, watch that video. And uh, it was sort of talking about this particular spike protein that's part of the vaccination and what it could do and, you know, quite a, a negative thing. And the interesting thing was that having looked at that particular video, the next time I went to YouTube, I was then served up a whole bunch of similar videos, quite negatively presented videos about the Pfizer vaccination. And I'm sure that if I continue to watch these things, I would be flooded by more and more. And all of a sudden, I'm not seeing any videos being served up that talk about all the positive things about Pfizer vaccinations. And the same thing can go will go on for many different topics. Sadly, it goes even further when it comes to things like conspiracy theories and hate speech and those sorts of things. Let's look at some examples here. And here's an article uh, that speaks about hate speech on social media and makes some interesting observations. And again, we've got a photo there of uh, a memorial from Christchurch, from those tragic shootings that occurred in the mosque in, in New Zealand. But if we look at this article, it made some interesting observations. It's this particular point here was that in the United States, perpetrators of recent white supremacist attacks have circulated among racist communities online and also embraced social media to publicise their acts. Prosecutors said the Charleston church shooter who killed nine black clergy and worshippers in June 2015 engaged in a self-learning process online that led him to believe that the goal of white supremacy required violent actions. So I think this gives us a little bit of insight of the dangers that we have this curation, this, these filter bubbles that people find themselves in. And what they think is a self-learning process becomes a self-perpetuating process of, of this information being served up that led this, sadly led this particular individual to believe that the only solution was violence. Again, we had in 2018, the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter. And he was a participant in the social media network Gab, whose lax rules have attracted extremists banned by larger platforms. And his motivation was the conspiracy that Jews sought to bring immigrants into the United States and render whites a minority. And he killed 11 worshippers at a refugee-themed Shabbat service. And this particular, um, this particular theory is 
often referred to as the great replacement trope. And these theories were heard at, a, at the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, a year prior to those shootings. And, all of the, and the interesting thing was that these types of theories regarding white minority originate from decades ago from the French far right. And I think the point there is that it's not necessarily social media that's the problem. A lot of these, these theories were around a lot before social media was anywhere near as prevalent as it is today. But as we said before, social media has provided a platform and a way of spreading this information like never seen before. The article goes on to say that this great replacement trope was in turn espoused by the perpetrator of the 2019 New Zealand mosque shootings, which killed 49 Muslims at a prayer and sought to, and unbelievably, he sought to broadcast the attack on YouTube and Facebook as it turned out. And the message there is that a lot of this thinking has been spread through social media. And they go on to make this comment that users' experiences online are mediated by algorithms, as we saw in that little video, designed to maximise their engagement, which often inadvertently promotes extreme content. Some web, web watchdog groups say YouTube's autoplay function in which the player at the end of one video tees up a related one can be especially pernicious. The algorithm drives people to videos that promote conspiracy theories or otherwise divisive, misleading or fault, according to a Wall Street Journal investigative report. And they made the comment... YouTube may be one of the most powerful, radicalising instruments of the 21st century. So quite big statements there about platforms such as YouTube. But as we can see, I think there is some element of truth in what is being put forward here. And we may have heard Myanmar in in the news and of recent times. And again, the same thing, that Facebook was a useful instrument for those seeking to spread hate in a context where for most users, Facebook is the internet. And that's in Myanmar, that Facebook is the internet. And Facebook was, as we see here, that it admits it was used to incite offline violence in Myanmar. So they had to admit that the platform that they created, which if we think about the origins of Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg's original idea, which all started in providing a little community group for school groups to interact and share photos with their fellow university friends has become a platform that is now, that they've had to admit, was used to incite violence in Myanmar. Incredible. 
which then draws us to the other picture there, which is really just speaking about what are governments doing about these things. Germany has probably been leading the way in this in that they now have a, a hate speech law that requires those that run these technical platforms such as Facebook to bring down offensive, hateful commentary on their platforms within 24 hours or face significant fines. But as commentators will say, while that's a start, the proliferation of social media and the amount of content that's out there means it's an impossible task to mediate. And so we ask ourselves this question, did technology fail us? Has technology failed us? Or did people fail at using technology? So is social media the problem? Is the, are the tech giants the problem? Well, again, let's turn to God's word. And I think we get a clear insight here, don't we, in Matthew 15, where we read, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these things defile a person. I suppose in this day and age, we might replace the word mouth with keyboard. The things that come off the keyboard come from the heart, and these things defile a person. And Matthew 15 continues, for out of the heart, and what we're speaking here is that this is the natural human nature without God, without, without values that come from God's word. For out of the heart come evil ideas, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And so while the, these technology platforms have created a platform for human interaction, for conspiracy theories, for hate speech and those sort of things, it really comes from human nature itself, doesn't it, from the heart of man and woman without God is the message here. So as we think about these things and what guidance can we take from God's word? And I think this is good guidance for our interactions with social media, the things to avoid, and also the way in which when we use social media, the guidelines we use when we put information out there and interact with others. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And I think if this is the filter that we put on our interactions, whether that be online, through social media, or with each other generally. This is walking in God's ways. So we talked about solutions. What is the, the real solution to what we're seeing, to this dilemma that we have with social media, to this virtual hatred 
and this divide we see in society. Well, the ultimate answer, God gives us in his word. And Micah talks about a time that's to come. In the time of those kings, and we don't have time to delve into the, the full background to this, but what Mike is talking about is our time. The last days is what Micah is referring to. The days of the kings that are in place in our lifetime. But it's in this generation that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure forever. So this is the promise that we have. This is God's solution. That the kingdoms of the world that we have today will be usurped by a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will endure forever. And what will that kingdom look like when it's established? We were told this, that many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So we have a wonderful promise, a wonderful prophecy here that not only were we told that this kingdom would be this kingdom of God would be established forever. But we are going to be taught God's ways so that we may walk in his paths. So it will be a kingdom that will be guided by God's principles, some of those things that we've looked at as distinct from some of those hateful things, some of those acts that have been done as a result of people being influenced by human nature from the heart of man, the evil heart of man, that's been broadcast through these platforms that now exponentially enable messages to be, get, to, be, to be spread and for people to be influenced in the wrong way. We look for a time and we hope for a time when world, the world influence will become from a righteous king and in a kingdom and a glorious hope that we have 